Welcome back to the Getting Buckets Podcast. I'm Ethan. This is Matt. I'm Jordan. And we're coming to you today with a free agency edition of the podcast. So, obviously, we know that this 2020-2021 free agency class is not that exciting. But I think there are a couple of cool names that we could definitely talk about and see where they could go. So... The first one is Fred Van Fleet, who had a really good year this year with the Raptors. And I don't uh, really know how much he's going to demand in in the offseason. And the only team that I saw that was interested in him was the Knicks. And I think that would be pretty funny if the Knicks signed Because I don't think he's like like a guy that can carry a team or anything like that. So it would be pretty funny if the Knicks signed him. I don't, I don't think he'll get a max contract, but maybe a team that's desperate. What do you guys think about Fred Van Fleet? I mean, Fred, Fred Van Vliet's story is really interesting. He was an undrafted free agent back in 2016, I think. The Raptors picked him up, put him in their G League team, really just developed him super well. And then he came up his first two years. He was mostly a bench player. And then in 2018, 2019, he really came on. He's like, it's kind of funny, like he... When I look at him as like a profile, I think he's very similar to someone he's on the team with right now with Kyle Lowry. Like he's a smaller point guard at six one, but he can he's got a really strong frame and he can defend pretty well for a guy his size. And also he's a very decent three point shooter. He's shot thirty nine percent for his career on four attempts. He's put up 18 points this past year, seven assists, so he can clearly he's a good distributor. The one issue he probably has is he's not a terrific finisher. So that's what, and like Ethan said, he's not really a guy you can lean on, lean on to be like a number one option, probably on any team. He's probably like your third option. Like you saw with the Raptors when they won the championship, it was like, you could say even maybe like he was the fourth option on the team behind Kawhi, Siakam and Lowry. So he can't really be your top guy or like you probably need to have another point guard next to him. And I, I like the Knicks fit if the Knicks feel like they want to be like a seven or eight seed and top out as that and add a couple more pieces. But if they want to like truly develop their talent and like make a long-term commitment, they need, they, they need to go another route. Another team I thought was kind of interesting was the Suns. I think it could be a really interesting fit next to Devin Booker and having DeAndre Ayton down in the paint. Um, Ricky Rubio's had a decent year, but he's getting older and he's got a really just bloated contract. He's probably going to get an offer somewhere in like, like five year, like 80 to $90 million range. Can't remember exactly what figure Malcolm Brogdon got from Indiana, but I think it's going to be pretty similar just because they, they had similar stats in their contract years and Toronto obviously could still be a fit. I think they're they're the favorite to bring him back. It seems like he really enjoys it over there. And Toronto's still gonna be competitive next year along with Boston, Milwaukee, and all those other teams in the East, Philly, obviously. We talked about it a lot in the last episode. They're a really interesting team. So if I if I was a betting man, I'd say he's he's back in Toronto next year. Yeah, honestly, I think I would agree with that. I think more likely than not 
Van Vliet is going to end up in Toronto. After Kawhi Leonard left the Raptors, Van Vliet kind of stepped into his own and he filled in that role from the season there that Kawhi was there. He was averaging 11 and 5. And then that first season after, he bumps it up to 18, 7, and four rebounds and two steals. That defensive part of his game, I think, is underrated, something that people don't really talk about. He's averaging, he shoots like around 40% from three. He's, he's deadly from out there. And most importantly, in the playoffs, he ups his stats as well. He plays better in the playoffs, and he also played better in the playoffs uh, last year in, in that run to the to the finals he was a he was a key part of their team there especially towards the end of the the run but this year in the the playoffs he put up nearly 20 points seven assists four rebounds again like nearly two steals he's he can he can be a really good player for a lot of teams i can definitely see some teams going on a reach going on a limb and paying him big-time money, big-time money, and having him be a guy who puts up, like, 20, 25 shots a game. Specifically, one of the teams that I could see do such a a, a poor move, in my opinion, would be the, the Knicks. That's right up there. Their alley, they love to overpay mid-tier guys as if they're all-star, superstar type uh, type guys. That's just their their memo. It, yeah, it it probably would help out the Knicks a good amount and maybe make them compete for a lower-tier Eastern Conference seed, like Jordan said. I, I, I don't know if they're getting to 7 or 8. I can see them maybe getting to, like, 9 or so, something around there. I can also see, like, the, the Chicago Bulls. I can see the Detroit Pistons. I, I can see, like, these mid-tier, this, this, like, more, like, low-tier... Eastern Conference teams that kind of are looking for that extra something, I can see those teams really jumping at an opportunity to get a guy like this. Van Vliet, I don't don't think he's... I I would personally be surprised if he gets more than, like, 25 million a year, 20 million a year. I think, like, I think, like, slightly less than 20 is something that's fair. There definitely are going to be teams that do end up overpaying for him. But I, I could definitely see a team like the Chicago Bulls that want to surround Zach Levine with some more talent. Uh, they've they've been looking for a point guard ever since they got rid of Derrick Rose uh, four or five years ago. I can see the Detroit Pistons just try to like do something out there. They really have nothing, and there there has to be a point where they have to just try to put out a semi-talented roster onto the the floor. But I would say that bottom line, I would end up agreeing with Jordan. I think the Raptors are a good fit for him. I think Van Vliet, you know, wants to compete on a team that has a chance to make it out of the Eastern Conference. Uh, you have Siakam, you have Lowry still, you have Gasol and Ibaka. If he if he wants to go and chase the, the money, then he can go and do that, but he's not going to win a whole lot of games. He can stay in Toronto. He will still have a competitive salary and it's it's not like he's not getting opportunities he'll he'll continue to get even more opportunities more times where he has the ball in his hands throughout the the game in late game situations especially as Lowry gets older uh he he seems like a like a just a younger version of of Lowry in a, in a lot of ways 
So I I do think he will end up in Toronto, but definitely don't be surprised if a team like Chicago or Detroit just throws him a huge twenty five million dollar contract and he and he jumps at it. Yeah, I definitely agree that the Raptors are the favorite, and I also said before that I would a, a really desperate team would have to overpay him a max because I don't think he's a max type of player. I just I just wanted to jump in for one second. I think it's I think Matt was talking about. Money-wise, only nineteen twenty million. I think a lot of teams could see his age being only twenty-six. We won't see a lot of players reach free agency until twenty-seven or twenty-eight. But the fact that he was an undrafted free agent and was allowed to enter free agency a couple of years earlier than most people would have thought, I, I think that really benefits him money-wise. Like he can, I think he can easily get twenty-two, twenty-three million, even in a this kind of environment where a lot of teams are going to be looking to cut payroll just because of how much revenue the NBA lost. We talked about it last episode. They probably lost around like $8 billion in revenue, which is huge. I think it's a long shot, but maybe if they were able to move some money around, like one of the LA teams could possibly make a move at him. Like the Clippers clearly need, I think we saw it most, that they need a initiator in that offense. Like Kawhi operates at his best when he has a point guard and he's not the one bringing up the ball and Paul George. Like, when he had Kyle Lowry, he was clearly at his best. When he had Tony Parker facilitating that Spurs offense, it really helped him just be able to cut off off the ball and just drive down the baseline and find stuff inside. So, and with the Lakers, they, they might lose Rajon Rondo, who is going to be pursued this offseason after really showing out in the playoffs. He's not, not going to get a huge deal, but who knows the Lakers... They probably do want to bring him back, but at what cost? So I think it's probably, like I said, a long shot, but maybe one of those L.A. teams decides to make a run at him and move some money around. But do you think that Van Vliet is worth that $22, 23000000 million? Because I definitely agree that there's going to be some team that throws that amount of money at him or rather is willing to. But do you think that he deserves to be paid like that all-star, nearing superstar level of player? I mean, put up the Brogdon comparison earlier. I think they're two. He's, very he's definitely players. better than than Brogdon. Yeah, and and I mean, look, Brogdon provided a ton of value to Indiana this year. I mean, look look how much it hurt Milwaukee to lose him. Like, I think they're. I think if you put, like you said, he might want to chase the money and go to a bad team where he can just put up stats. And I think in that scenario, he can be an All Star. But if he were to go to one of the LA teams and be like their third option, I feel like that could be even better for him, and he would really that contract could be worth it because they could take that next step and really be like the Lakers could, you know, they already won the championship, but it could solidify them as contenders for another year, even with LeBron aging a little bit and maybe Van Vliet can take control of the offense like more often than not. And like I said, with, with the Clippers, just having that initiator, it could really, that contract could be worth it for them. Yeah. You know what? Brogdon, he signed a four year, 85 million. That's 21 million a year. Well, the the thing is though Van Vliet is a better player than Brogdon by I don't know by, I, I disagree by, with that by, I disagree with that really I disagree I think Brogdon is way better than him I wouldn't say I, way so, better I I I think so they're close. so so I, I guess like so I so I guess like around twenty twenty one twenty two seems seems I I guess fair value for him all right fine I don't know let's move on to a, a player that's really dear to me and Matt's hearts which is Joe Harris. You know, he only made like around eight million last year, and if he decides to not join the team again, he's probably going to get paid like double that, maybe sixteen or seventeen million. But 
just as Matt knows, the Nets must re-sign Joe Harris if they want any chance to compete for a championship. He's exactly what they need. He led the league in three-point percentage before. He shot like 42.4% last year. He could drive. He can get to the cup. Up and under layups, reverse layups. He's really a complete player now, as opposed to how he was in the beginning of his career. So he's a very good player. And he loves to stay in Brooklyn. He took less money on his last contract. And hopefully he'll decide to stay in Brooklyn again because he can really get paid a good amount of money by, you know, any contending team that needs shooting, maybe the Lakers, the Clippers, the Sixers don't have any cap space, but they could, like, potentially be a team. So Joe Harris is going to have some some bidders for sure. And I really hope the Nets manage to re-sign him. So, Matt, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think because I know that we're both Nets fans. So I do have one thing I want to disagree with you on in your in your little intro there. I don't think that if we don't sign Joe Harris, we're like out of championship contention. Like, like that's it's, it, he's not like Joe Harris is a great piece, but he's not the thing. Like Joe Harris is not the guy that's gonna put us over the top, bro. Like, it's, I, he's like, he's really good, bro. He's he would be a huge loss if we if we don't have him, bro. So. All right, we will have Kevin Durant. We're going to have Kyrie Irving, you know, a, a combination of Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, and, you know, maybe like some other guy. Also, if we trade away one of the uh, or two of those three guys, the the Karis, Dinwiddie, and Jared Allen combo, simply put, Joe Harris is not going to put us over the, the top. We have too I, much I, talent I, at the, I at the beginning. I disagree. Fine. So, so, I, I disagree. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because right. he doesn't need the all those players that you just mentioned need the ball in their hands a lot. Joe Harris is a shoot off pick and roll, shoot off the pass type of guy. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful. And the Nets right, need so, players so like let that. Me, the Nets need right. players like that. Because as yeah, it stands yeah. right now, they're all we only have players. Our best players are all players who need the ball in their hands. So we need Joe Harris. Yeah. So let me ask you this then, right? He's coming off a two-year, $16 million contract. He took like maybe a low-ball offer. Maybe it was more of what he was worth back then. But now at this point, he's definitely going to be in the double digits per year. Would you be comfortable with the Nets re-signing him for $15 million a year, Ethan? For a one-year deal, yes, but I don't think I not for anything. But but Joe Harris is not going to sign. Listen, 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 listen. He's he's not going to sign a one-year deal. This is his his he's an unrestricted free agent. This is the best chance he's going to have to make the most amount of money. He gave us a deal uh, a couple of years ago. He's not going to do it again. So any contract that he signs anywhere, it's going to be at least three four years, right? So assuming that my preposition to you is he is commanding 15 million a year from from other teams right and he comes to the brooklyn front office and says okay i have a four-year 60 million dollar contract from you know the knicks or from you know maybe like the Suns that want to bolster their perimeter around a shooting devin booker and around a deandre ayton who's hopefully and potentially could be a, a beast down low. Maybe there's an offer from the Minnesota Timberwolves or something, right, that want to just get some talent around their their core of Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. 
So Joe Harris brings that offer to the the table, and, and Jordan, I want you to chime in on this as well, because this kind of gets into the meat and potatoes of what Joe Harris is really worth. He comes to the Nets front office with a four-year, $60 million contract, which is definitely on the high side, but not unreasonable. Do you think that the Nets also keep in mind that they are in the luxury tax as well? Do you think that they should re-sign him? 460 so might be... Four sixty might be a little too rich for me. I think you know if we're talking about any player in the NBA that ages well, I think shooters really age well. So I wouldn't hate the four sixty. I mean, look at JJ Redick with the Sixers. If you combine the one year deal that he signed for twenty three million and then the second year for thirteen, I mean, he got two years thirty six million. And Philly fans were, I mean, really pissed off when when Redick left and because he was one of their most valuable players. And I think Redick is a very comparable player to Joe Harris. I mean, they can both come off screens, like off the pick and roll, like, like Ethan said, and just like spot up. I think Joe Harris is a respectable defender. He's not really just like one of those Duncan Robinson guys where you can take advantage of him and he's purely a spot up shooter and just expose him defensively. Like Joe Harris isn't necessarily a good defender, but he can hold his own on that end. He's, he can get to the rim a bit. So he's not like, just a pure shooter, but four years, 60. I think if push comes to shove and Harris is like 460 or I'm walking and that's it, I think the Nets would be silly not to do that. I think he, like Ethan said, holds a ton of value to the Nets. Kyrie and KD are clearly two amazing players, but you need shooting on that Nets team. And Joe Harris is one of the best in the NBA. I mean, you could make a case for any playoff team in the league that should sign Joe Harris just because of how valuable shooting is in today's NBA. Ethan, do you agree with that uh, with that sentiment there at four years, sixty million, or would you prefer to see Joe Harris? Well, I'm, I mean, obviously you want to see him signed for for less, but like, do you do you think that he's do you think that the Nets would be comfortable signing him, giving him a four year, sixty million dollar contract? Well, we do know this though. When Joe Tsai, the owner of the Nets, was asked that it appears that the Nets are heading towards luxury tax area, he was quoted saying, and I don't care. So we do know that Joe Tsai has the bag and doesn't really care if he goes into the luxury tax. So I, I could see the Nets signing him for that amount of money. Maybe they would ask him, okay, you got $15 million on the table for four years. If you come for $13 million a year, we'll sign you. And maybe because he wants to stay in Brooklyn and he loves the culture there, he'll, he'll accept so maybe he'll take a little bit of pay cut to stay in Brooklyn. That's also a possibility, which I think could very well happen. I don't think he's going to take anything under double digits, though. I think he's going to his minimum is probably going to be around twelve million if he does decide to pay that pay cut. Well, do you think that he decides to resign though, or do you do you think that even let's like let's say I don't know let's let's say that for whatever reason he wants to leave Brooklyn. Like, do you, do you expect that as a possibility with Joe Harris do you do you think he you know runs off to get like a a bigger role because clearly this year he's going to have a smaller role he's going to have a smaller chunk of offensive opportunities with KD and Kyrie being at full health again it's it's, again it's definitely a possibility that he walks and wants to go get paid a lot of money if some team listen there's definitely could be some desperate teams that could pay him a lot of freaking money we've seen teams pay outrageous amounts of money to players who clearly didn't deserve it. And Joe Harris is better than all those players who got those outrageous contracts. So I, it's, it's going to be a really 
confusing situation because I don't really know what's going to happen with Joe Harris. Like, I don't know if he's going to stay, if he's going to walk. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. The guy shot 47% from three in 18-19 over a yeah. full season. Like, that's that's ridiculous. How often do you see? And that, that's on five shots a game. That's not on some low volume. Like Yeah, no, he's an elite three-point shooter. I, the Nets have to keep him. He's he, It's like him. I mean, I don't know. There, the sample size probably isn't there for Duncan Robinson yet. He obviously was amazing in the playoffs. But you could put those two right there as, like, the top shooters in the NBA. I, I think that... Overall, though, Joe Harris is a better player than Duncan Robinson, though. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree, but I'm talking ter- in terms of, like, pure shooting. Okay, so another interesting storyline is what's going to happen with the Clippers, and we all know they have a new coach, but Montrez Harrell is also an unrestricted free agent, and in the playoffs, he was shit. He was really bad. He did not show up on offense, and he was horrible on defense, too, so think that some team is definitely going to pay him a lot of money perhaps a max contract so i think he's going to go chase the bag make a lot of money but in my opinion if that happens the clippers shot of winning a championship is diminished a whole lot so the clippers should try to keep him but i think he's going to end up walking because i do think he's going to end up getting a max contract from somebody what do you guys think well i'm looking at a report that came out on September 25th from SI, the um, SI website. And there were earlier reports that he was hoping to get a $20 million annual contract. Like, not quite a max. I think teams even back then kind of knew about his deficiencies, that he's kind of a, a, a better Kenneth Fareed, but not much more in other areas. Just does the things that Kenneth Fareed did, but just a little bit better. It's He's not really much more versatile than, than Fareed was. But I think that the playoffs really took a hit on his value. He was awful on defense they were they were a minus jordan what was the, the ridiculous plus minus that harold was at over the the playoffs it's somewhere in the like low 60s it was low 60s it's it's a it's a ridiculously low number for for montrez harold and i i think that's played a part in teams reducing their the value because later on in this article it's saying that now his current annual value on the market is closer to eight to twelve million, which is a far cry. It's it's half of what it was going for before the you know bubble resumed. So I I could realist like in my opinion, I think that Harold will probably he'll probably get somewhere between like 13, 14 or so. I, I think I think 10 million is, is a little low for what he deserves, especially because like Brogdon, for example, is getting 21 a year. I, I think Harold can definitely get a little bit closer to, to that than like, like I, don't, I don't think he's worth half as much as Brogdon, to put it simply. Nor do I think he's worth half as much as what Van Vliet is. It's, you know, that's what we were, Van Vliet, like all three of us were saying, he's like probably around like 21, 22 or so. So I don't think Harrell is quite, you know, just half as much as Van Vliet. I can see 13, 14. I think that's that's fair. This SI article is saying 8 to, to 12. I guess that makes sense as well. I think the days of us thinking that Harrell is going for 20 plus that's that's just that's no longer i think we know that he's not as effective as he seemed to be he was he was kind of exposed in the playoffs i can see 
a lot of teams wanting to re-sign him. The the Clippers, if they want to contend, they're they're gonna need to re-sign him. In there, it's it's good for them because now he's coming on the cheap, so they would be happy with that with that new price that he costs. I don't know. I I can see I can see a lot of different offensive minded teams trying to to go for him, right? Like I can see the the Dallas Mavericks trying to go for him, like having Chris Stapps, having Harrell, having or having those two guys paired with Luka Doncic, having you know Luka be able to run the pick and roll with either Harrell or Chris Stapps, with Chris Stapps being able to you know fade out to the the three point line off a of pick and roll, or if Doncic so chooses, he can take it with Harrell and you can have Harrell dive to the the rim. Uh, I I think that that would be a really interesting fit there in in Dallas, especially because soon. When Giannis becomes a free agent, he'll, uh, there are some rumors that he should be going to Dallas or that he's looking at, at Dallas. That team would be absolutely stacked. That's that's a little bit further down the, the road, though, and I don't want to get like too off track. But I, I think like offensive-minded teams, I think like maybe even like the, the, the Golden State Warriors, maybe. I don't know, something like, like that. I can see like the Atlanta Hawks, maybe. So um, I'm looking at teams that want to run and gun that want to run up and down the the floor that have high powered offenses that have a lot of movement that do a lot of pick and rolls i think that those teams would really want to have a mantras harrell on their team i mean i i don't think he's gonna end up getting something like eight to 12 million i think he'll end up getting more in like the 16 17 million dollar range obviously he had the issues in the playoffs i mean you saw like Jokic and Grant really just like cooked him in the playoffs. Like they were really exposing him inside and on the perimeter. So, but he he's the reigning sixth man of the year. He averaged 19 a game, seven rebounds, two assists. He shot 58% from the field. So clearly, like you said, Matt, he has a ton of offensive value. His issues are really the defense, like we talked about, and he's also a horrible defensive rebounder. He he averages like for his career, I think three defensive rebounds a game which is just terrible for a guy his size. He's probably not a center. Like the, the, He really shouldn't be playing that position. He should be a, more of a four. But I, I see a lot of team, people throwing out the Atlanta Hawks as a possible spot. I mean, he could do that if he wants to get like just a huge contract, something like 475 or something like that. But I, don't, I also don't see a fit with Capella and John Collins and Deadman there really like the Raptors. I think that would be a super interesting fit, especially since the Raptors could lose Gasol and Ibaka in one offseason. That would really hurt them. I think Harrell could provide some value there. Offensively, Nick Nurse is obviously a terrific coach. If they were able to bring back Van Vliet, that could bring some like real strong offensive punch. They have Boucher, who really was impressive in his limited minutes front court, so you could pair those two together. Golden State, like you said, I like I like the fit with Golden State. Golden State just needs a body. Who knows what they do with the draft? There's all kinds of interesting questions there, whether they can go Wiseman or Okongwu with the center. Maybe they trade the pick or they go in free agency. But their cap is so bloated, I don't know what they're going to do. Dallas, I don't really love the Dallas fit just because I think him and Porzingis wouldn't do that great in the front court together. I mean, KP, a lot of people want him to play the five. But I don't really see it. And then you have Harold, who should, who's probably, like I said, shouldn't play the five, but will play the five for most teams that he signs with. 
Yeah, I just I think he's going to end up, even though the defensive issues and the rebounding issues, he still should get somewhere between 16 to 17 million a year on a four like four year deal just because of how much value he provides on the offensive end. Yeah, definitely making some good points for sure about Harold. I don't know. I think you guys are kind of underestimating his value. I definitely think there's the possibility that some shit team is going to overpay him. Like no, yeah, that's why I said that. that that's with 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 Atlanta. I think they're. I think they could do that. I think the Bulls, the Knicks, they could if they just want to pay him stupid money for him to put up like stats. Like we said with Van Vliet, if he wants to just go to a bad team and put up like big numbers and not make the playoffs every year, he can do that. But it's his, it's his decision whether he wants to take that eighteen, nineteen million for a bad team or if he wants to take a pay cut at like maybe fourteen or fifteen and play for a playoff team again. That's true, but now it's, I think. We do have some breaking news coming out of Boston, which is that Gordon Hayward reportedly wants out of Boston, which is kind of confusing because he can make report up to $34.1 million if he opts in to his contract. So I'm kind of confused about this news, but I do think that the writing was on the wall for this to happen, especially after that year, that second year with Kyrie, when he came back from injury and it was reported that Brad Stevens was kind of forcing him into the starting lineup because they were winning so many games when Gordon Hayward scored over like 15 points or something like that. So it caused like a lot of dis- a lot of like chemistry issues in the locker room. So I do think that the writing was on the wall for this to happen, especially when you think about he was given a max contract and he's not even like what the f- he's not, he's the fourth best player on his team right now. So it makes sense. What do you guys think about this new news? Yeah, so Gordon Hayward, he is definitely not worth the $34 million. He was overpaid from the start, and I think it's a situation in Boston where he wants more opportunity. I think he wants more touches. I think he thinks he should be more of a center on a team like how he was in Utah, like his last year in Utah. At this point now in Boston, there really isn't a need for him. Like, he doesn't really even fit on the the team, honestly. They have two all-star wings with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Gordon Hayward is just, like, an an odd fit there. They they have other wing guys like like Marcus Smart. Kemba Walker gets a ton of touches as as well. It, it It kind of makes sense that he wants to leave. On the other hand, though... It is strange because Gordon Hayward and the coach Brad Stevens are are so tight. They they go back years and years to their to the college days, and it it is a little strange that Gordon Hayward. It it, it seems like he's you know backstabbing Brad Stevens by by leaking the rumors of this 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 trade. It's it's unfortunate, but I think it makes sense at the end that Gordon Hayward he he wants to relive those Utah days or he he thinks that he can put up the production of those Utah days and I don't know I I can see very few teams that would want to take on that 34 million dollar contract that he still has that he still has it's it's a it's a player option so he's going to have to opt into it he he it, it's a it's a no brainer that he is going to opt into it period there are there're not a lot of teams that I see that would want to take that on 
but the teams that I any any team that would want to take it on is probably not going to be that good anyway. So at that point, Gordon Hayward is going to have all the the touches in the world, all the opportunities in the world to to put up as many points as as he wants. So maybe that's that's what he wants at the end of the day. But he's he's not going to go to a team where he's going to compete because those those teams they just don't have thirty four million dollars on their on their salary cap. I mean, it, it's it's so interesting Hayward's case just because he's twenty nine years old. He obviously had the devastating injury at the beginning of his Boston career, that that first game where he dislocated his ankle. That was really tough to see, and he missed that entire season. And then this past year, even during most of he missed the beginning of the playoffs for Boston due to a grade three ankle sprain, which was tough for him in the bubble. But he wasn't really terrible. If you look at it on the surface with his statistics this year, he averaged 18 points, seven rebounds, four assists. He shot 38% from three, 50% from the field, and 13 and a half shots per game. So he is like still a good player. He's obviously, like you said, he's not worth anywhere near the 34 million that he's getting, and he'd be stupid not to opt to. He'd be stupid to opt out of it, just because he's not going to get anywhere. He's probably going to get like maybe even half. Like I was, I'd be surprised if he got like 17 million dollar per year offers in free agency. So he has to take that offer. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think Boston's gonna have to attach a pick just to get rid of that contract, but maybe a team like the Hawks just wants to take on that salary. They'll, like, they'll definitely have to attach something because that $34 million contract, that that's crazy for that, yeah, a player uh, yeah. of Gordon Hayward's caliber. I, he's, yeah, it's just what I, it's just, he's not, he's yeah. not bad, but he's not worth 34 he's, million. He's not, he's not that good. It's the thing is, it's, it's, it's not like Al Horford where you're like, he's just like, a, like terrible in, Philadelphia, yeah. and he's got this awful contract, and you're definitely going to have to attach picks. So I think Gordon Hayward's but he's still clearly player. not worth 34. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, like it's just it's such an interesting case. I think Atlanta, maybe Indiana could use a player like him, maybe. But T.J. Warren really looked impressive in the bubble. Early M- MJ early. Warren, get it right. <laughs> yeah, bubble bu- bubble MJ. Um, Jimmy Butler sunned him though, completely oh sunned his shit. Definitely yeah. did, but T.J. Warren. Bubble CJ Warren, I'm taking that over any player in NBA history. I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, though, Jimmy Butler sunned a lot of guys on the way to two wins away from an NBA championship for them. So we he sunned like, Giannis too, though. Yeah, he dude, he he sunned uh, he sunned Le, um, LeBron James in the finals. Like, yeah. I mean, if if we're like, talking about games. If, we're, if we're talking about Jimmy Butler, what about? I mean, they clearly want Giannis, but Hayward's only on a one-year deal. What if Miami moves some money around and brought in a guy like Hayward? Do you guys that see that as a bit? That does not put them over the top, though. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I'm not really, saying it puts them over the top, but it's... No, nah, I, I, don't, I don't really think that's Pat much of a fit, though. I think Pat Riley is too good of a GM to fall for that shit. Like, I, I don't think he's going to bite on Gordon Hayward. I would be shocked if he did. I think yeah. the only player he might bite on is Bradley Beal, but... If it, it seems like Riley's game plan is to take only one, like at this point, only one-year deals, and maybe a second year, but it's it's non-guaranteed or at just a very low cost because it seems like they're all in on pursuing Giannis and they want to have as much cap space as possible. I mean, they're not even extending Bam Adebayo, who's their second. I mean, you could argue for the future he might be their best player. Like they're waiting to extend him just because they want to see where Giannis goes first if they can bring him in and then and then sign Bam after that just so the cap space is there. So. I, I don't really know what their plan is in terms of Beal or anybody just bringing in. I think it's mostly going to be one-year contracts for them. I don't know. I, I do think this whole Gordon Hayward thing is really interesting, though. Yeah, who, like, who, who do you see as, like, some fits? Like, I mean, we talked about I Indiana could, and Atlanta. Like, who else? 
I could definitely see the Knicks doing it. <laughs> I, I could. I mean, you just you got to throw them into dude, every any, situation. Any player, it's right, it's right any down player there. that's <laughs> making too much money or is about to make too much money, just insert the Knicks and that'll fit it's into a, any I, argument. Honestly, the Knicks are where bad contracts go to die, though. That's and so the, true. I, I don't. I don't, I don't hate that for the Knicks if they take if they get if, if they get a pick if they get a pick only if they get a pick like attached to it. I don't hate that. I mean, like, Jordan, you you can't see me right now, but I'm shaking my head. No, it's only if I'm saying just no, take on an expiring a bad expiring contract and get a pick. And, and so and so what? So then you can get like a 27th for like pick like in in the the first round. Those have value. It's, you're saying you're you're acting like they have no value. Dude, the Knicks are never going to claw themselves out that way. I mean, no, they, first, there's, first, there's, first there's literally a report that came out this week that said they were willing to take on bad contracts for picks. Yeah, there was. And this is why I actually agree with Jordan that I actually do think it would be a good thing if the Knicks took on the contract because, as Jordan mentioned, it would be $34 million coming off the books, so maybe they could sign someone even better. I don't... I mean, the whole... Giannis, to, uh, the Knicks train is going to start up again at some time. Oh, no, no, season, no. So, well, no, the the train is definitely going to start up. Like that's for certain. You, there's there's going to be the media is going to start it up again, like they did with Knicks fans screaming about Giannis coming to New York. Honestly, though, if if I'm if I'm not just going to keep hating on the on the Knicks, I think that if they do manage to sign Van Vliet and get Gordon Hayward somehow and also receive picks from that Gordon Hayward, you know, sign and trade that would possibly happen. I, I think that the Knicks could be a pretty fun team to watch. Hopefully if RJ Barrett maybe takes a step forward, I personally don't think he will, but you know, let's just say that he, he does. He is young. Bro, chill out with the Knicks, eight, bro. RJ Barrett is but, a good but, player. But, Okay, you know, like Mitchell Robinson, player, I think is is good. So I I do think for sure he'll take a step forward. I I think that the Knicks could have like a pretty solid team. They can compete for like maybe a sixth seed, maybe pushing for like a, a fifth seed with that with that roster. I think that they could be surprising if they if they end up getting Van Vliet in addition to Gordon Hayward, and if they get like a draft pick, also they can be set for the for the the future as well. So that that wouldn't be so bad for them. I mean, there 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 was a report out there that Boston's looking to move a bunch of their first-round picks. They have 14, 16, and 26 in this draft, and it seems like they're willing to move any of them to move up in this draft to get Okongwu. And so it seems like they need big man help. I mean, I don't know where where they would get that outside the draft, but there looks like they're super willing to move draft picks around, so maybe you can get one for Hayward. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, no, I definitely could see something like that happening, that Boston... Could somehow connect Hayward with one of these picks and trade him to some team like the Knicks. I could really see that happening for sure. So now I, we're going to start doing something new on this show called Hot Take of the Week. So every week we're going to pose a question and we're each going to have different takes on it and we're going to debate it. So let's start it. So the first topic that we're going to do is. Who had the better career, KD or Steph? So, Matt, I'm going to give you the floor. So, for this one, I'm looking at the wording of the question very carefully. Okay, so who had the better career? Not this, this is specifically, it's not the better player. It's who had the better career. And to me, you can make a really, really strong argument that it was Steph Curry. 
All right, so let's let's take a couple of steps back and think about this from a very wide angle here. So first things first, Kevin Durant pulled the ultimate snake move in NBA history, and after being up 3-1 against Steph Curry's Warriors, Steph Curry's Warriors come back and completely just throw them away like a piece of discarded trash, and they move on. And Kevin Durant says, oh, you know what? I'm going to go join that team because I think that player is really, really good. And he was he was right. That was the year that Steph Curry was the first unanimous MVP in NBA history, the best player on the best team in NBA history, and the best player on a the only team to lose single-digit amount of times during the regular season. 73 wins and 9 losses. Steph Curry revolutionized the NBA in terms of three-point shooting, in terms of efficiency, in terms of guards being able to... He, he, was, he was really like one of the first guys that proved that a guard can lead a team all the way to the NBA championship. If you If you think about it, like like a, a point guard, I I mean not not a not a shooting guard. If you think about it, point guards have brought their teams far to the to the NBA finals even, but to to my just thinking off the, the top of my head, I don't think that there has been a time where a team with a superstar point guard as the best player on their team has actually gotten over the hump and won a championship. I'm I'm just thinking through my through my head right now yeah no i i it's 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 always been either a shooting guard a small forward or a big man it's never been a point guard i mean you could you, so, you, you, you could argue magic in that situation yeah but that's right but but also magic was was six nine and that was that that was also like 30 plus years ago but but yeah that that is one instance of a point guard leading their team to an nba championship so that that is true but there's a lot of differences but most importantly, though, I look at Steph Curry as a guy who has won three NBA championships. Two of them, he or or rather one of them, he was the the undisputed best player on the the team. He was completely robbed of the 2015 NBA Finals MVP. That was just a really bad move by by the the guys that decide that. And realistically, you can you can make an, an argument that he could have won finals MVP for at least one of those, those other ones where it was KD who was quote-unquote leading that team. I say quote-unquote because we all know that Steph was really the leader of that team. It was not KD. It always was weird that KD was on that team. He never quite fit. KD is a fantastic, fantastic talent. But if you look at the career of Steph Curry versus Kevin Durant, the impact that they had on this game, Steph Curry is has had a way more of an impact. Literally, him by himself. There was a three-point like movement, you know, a few years before he started taking off. You know, you know, no, honestly, that's that's not even really true. I would make an argument that the three-point explosion that has like taken place this decade. Do you guys remember in the 12-13 season, Jordan, you, you and I were, were freshmen in high school. Steph Curry put up a 54-point game at MSG. It was, it was and lost. Five. And lost. Just, just so people know. And lost. 
But you, you know what, though? That was a huge game, not just for him and the Warriors, but for the NBA. Because that three-point shooting barrage was really the first that happened on a live stage that really ushered in this three-point shooting craze that we have seen the NBA go in over the subsequent eight years after that game. I, I think I think that you can trace back this this movement all the way to, to that game. And Steph Curry later in that playoffs led the Warriors to an, an upset victory over the Denver Nuggets, pushed the San Antonio Spurs to six games. They they easily could have pushed it to a game seven. There was a couple of bad breaks on calls. The San Antonio Spurs that year, if you remember, nearly upset the Miami Heat in the finals. So the the Warriors were even a really good team at that time. Steph Curry has had a tremendous impact on this NBA. I I will acknowledge that KD is the more talented player overall. You you can just see it. But honestly, it is it is it is close. I I think Steph I think a lot of people don't give Steph Curry the credit that he deserves Steph Curry is one of the best who has ever played this game and he has won more championships he's been to more finals he was the one that laid the groundwork that convinced KD to go and pull that snake move and and hightail over to uh, San Francisco Oakland and Steph Curry to me has had the better career if I could have an NBA career or if I was making a my team player, for example, and I could choose like which career I would I would prefer, I would choose that Steph Curry career for my my player, for example. I I think he's he's had just a better career in terms of, of impact on the NBA, in terms of accolades, in terms of in terms of a, a lot of things. He yeah yeah he also has like more MVPs than, than KD straight up. So that that too. I hear your argument, but I got to go with KD here, and. As both of you guys know very well, I actually wasn't a huge hater on the move that KD made to Golden State. So, And you as, should be shamed for that. As Jordan knows, I actually rooted for KD in his first year against LeBron. So Shameful. Shameful. So I'm obviously going to go with KD here. Obviously, we know that KD is in a way more talented player than than Steph. Not to say that Steph isn't talented, but KD just has so much more talent in his game because he's seven feet tall and could just do things that nobody else could do at his height ever. He's a two-time Finals MVP, two-time NBA champ. Yeah, yeah. People say, oh, it's counterfeited championships. I disagree. A championship is a championship. He's been a nine times All-NBA, all led the league in scoring four times. He's a one-time MVP, Rookie of the Year, 10-time All-Star, I don't know. I just think that the better career has to be KD here. And I obviously do understand that Steph changed the game, but KD also, KD changed the game as well. So I've got to go with KD here. I'm curious what Jordan, you think. I think this, this conversation between the two of them is really, it's funny because they played together for three years and you could argue that a lot of Steph's career accomplishments occurred just by having Kevin Durant on the team like that it opened up so many more looks for him that he was able to take games off and they could still have a high standing in the in the conference that he could just you know in late games just say Kev like go to work take the ball 
go take that game-winning shot. So he really helped him in a lot of ways. So I would probably lean towards Kevin Durant. I think that, like Ethan said, for him to be seven feet tall, so athletic, he can shoot. I mean, you look at this year, him coming back, people keep making the comparison that if KD is at like 80, 85% of himself, he's still like, he's still Dirk Nowitzki. Like that's the kind of player he can be like in his prime. Like if even coming off such a devastating Achilles injury, just because he's not one of those guys that relies on his athleticism as much as others. And Steph is in a lot of ways, that same kind of way. He's not really a super athletic kind of guy. He's, he's just a shooter. And uh, Matt said that that Knicks game. I mean, I I even whoa, watched. Whoa, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Hold on a second. Steph Curry is just a shooter. Is that what I heard you no, just no, say? No, no, I'm saying that he has like he he. Okay, so I I miss I uh, I misworded it. It's yeah, that go he, for it, he relies it's like he doesn't need to rely on his athleticism because he's so much more of a shooter, and like he doesn't really need to like like uh, go and like dunk it or like just do these crazy ass like things. All right. Just, okay. Okay. Yeah. I want to add this also. KD has been a bucket the moment he got into the league. Steph, well, it's not that he wasn't good in his first couple of years, but he didn't reach that all-NBA level until his fifth year in the NBA. So uh, when you look at the overall career, I think KD had a better career because he's been greater for longer. And Steph has definitely had an impressive run the, the past seven years. He got injured this year, but this past six years before that, obviously he had not one of the greatest point guards of all time. You can make the argument he's the second greatest point guard of all time already. I obviously don't want to take anything away from him, but I just I just think if you're looking at overall career, I think KD has been greater for longer. Look, look, look at those first three years. Like it's talking about, he had all those ankle injuries, and he really just he couldn't stay healthy. Obviously, KD had a lot of he had some injury issues too. He has the Achilles. He had the foot injury in OKC. Like he's had injuries too. But Steph, just like his first three years, he wasn't the player that he is now. Like he just like all right, but at- but if you look past those first three years, like his achievements have been phenomenal. He went to five straight NBA finals. But do- Guys, doesn't a lot of that have to do with KD? NBA finals. Do- does- doesn't a lot of that have to do with KD though? The fact that he went to five straight finals. Like, does he do that if KD doesn't sign with them? I think that they would have made it to at least one or two of those at at a minimum. At a minimum, they do. I, I, I don't know. Like two more for sure. I I, th- I think the Rockets could have taken them out. Two years. Not in in twenty eighteen. I think that they they would have. I I agree with with that. In twenty eighteen, they they would have. But twenty seventeen, it would have been another Warriors, uh, another Warriors run for sure. Um, um, imagine that, right? Like they would have been coming off a seventy three and nine season, losing in Game Seven of the NBA Finals, and they they uh, didn't get KD. They're gonna be pissed. They want to get back there and win it. So absolutely, you can say, yeah, they're going to be pissed, this and that. But like, I still think like talent wise. Also, like- also they, they, the reason why, or a, a lot of the reason why that they lost in 2019 is because when KD went down and Clay went down, uh, they didn't have that bench that they had in 2015 and 2016, right? A lot of those guys were veterans, like those those guys in the early teams, like before KD arrived. Like it was like yeah. Leandro Barbosa, Maurice Spates, like all those guys. Like those guys were old. Those guys were like, pro- like David West. They were a year or two away from retiring. They weren't gonna. Obviously, you could sign other guys and probably you could spread that money around, like you said. But they, th- those guys specifically that they had, they were they were way past their prime and on the verge of like sitting on their couches watching the playoffs. I don't know. I'd I'd say overall though, Steph has had more. He well well number one he is he has more like MVPs 
right? He has, he has more MVPs. He has made it farther in the NBA finals or, or in the NBA playoffs than KD did in his time in OKC. And, and, he, had, and he had a lot of years to, to do it. But but how how much right, of that right. how much like of that do you Steph, blame Steph I do you blame on Steph team construction? I don't know. Honestly like, though, OKC okay, like, like, had a stack team for a lot of those years and they just couldn't get over the hump in, I think, in like I think they had they always in, had the in, star in 20, power. In 2016, honestly, I look at 2016 and the fact that Steph just came back and was like, Oh shit, I'm down three one, better start trying and then just just one of the I don't think that's an indictment. I think that's an indictment on Russell Westbrook. I mean, Russell Westbrook was not good in that series, and we just proved that's been proven year and year that year after year that Russell Westbrook is not a player that you could win with. So I, I don't, I don't blame it 100 on KD. That team, those teams in OKC had a lot of talent, but he noticed something about Russell Westbrook that you cannot win with him, and that's why he left. I mean, also, that 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 2016 conference finals, like they're not winning Game Six without Clay. Clay went nuclear in that game. Like that that was such a big reason why that series went to seven. So, just wanted to point that out. I agree, and this argument, this debate could go on for a long time. And we definitely both made we all made great points. But thank you guys for listening to the Game Buckets podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace.